Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad here with Breakthrough. And today we have a very special guest on the Grow Your Practice podcast. Uh, Our guest today is Neil Trickett. Neil is a private practice owner, husband, father, um, also is the owner of uh, Practice Promotions, which I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, So welcome to the call here, Neil. Thanks, Chad. Great to be on the call. Great. So Neil, I want to start with, uh, I think we have very similar timelines in our private practice and, and PT history. Can you give us some background, like just take us through college and your early days of uh, being a, a PT? <laughs> I don't know what stories you want from college and PT school, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe, maybe we start with the PT. Life. We'll start with the PT stuff. Yeah. So actually I'm a physical therapist of 20 years, um, really gravitated towards manual therapy. That's what I really love to do. And uh, um worked all kinds of different places, hospitals and private practice, and um, actually did a lot with osteopath training, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then my wife, Amy, and I, she's also PT, we decided at uh, some point that, you know, we wanted to get into private practice, right? We thought, hey, we're really good at what we do. Let's go open a business, right? And uh, like most PTs, we get into it. And then we realize, oh, you know, this is a little bit different than just going in and treating patients all the time. So um, we learned a lot uh, over that time frame. We had our uh, private practice for about eight years and we grew that from, you know, just Amy and I to a staff of 19, uh, you know, almost a million dollar practice and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Um, and then uh, at, at some point there, we, you know, we were realizing that we had um, different marketing that we were doing in the clinic that was working. We had other practice owners asking us, Hey, can you help us out? And so I really planted the seed. There wasn't much help at that time uh, for physical therapy practice owners in the marketing side of things. So we realized like, Hey, you know, we want to help more people understand the benefits of physical therapy and we got to help more practice owners be successful in marketing so that they can reach more people in their community. So that's when we started up practice promotions. And so that was 10 years ago and it was just uh, Amy and myself. Um, and at that time we just did a lot of like uh, print marketing, which is what we were doing in our practice. A lot of patient newsletters and postcards and stuff that we did out there. Uh, so we did that for quite a, a while. And then about five years ago, we started to expand into doing uh, websites and then even more into digital marketing. And, you know, it's just grown since then. So, you know, we've been very fortunate to help a lot of practices across the U.S. and Canada, uh, help them grow their business, reach more people in their community and have an impact on people's lives, which is really what our purpose is. Uh, so we're, we're blessed now to be helping over 900 PT clinics uh, across the U.S. and Canada and growing, um, you know, staff of 75 and growing. Uh, so it's a different uh, learning experience as we've gone along this path of um, how do you understand business and running a practice uh, to then being where we are today and, and getting more into a mid-sized business and how do you run that. So it's, it's been a fun um a fun experience all around and, and we love helping practices. Cool. So I want to dive into, you talked about um, when you were a private practice owner um, in the early days. And I, I remember this in probably the early mid two thousands, uh, there was just a vacuum around how do I go direct to the consumer? Mm-hmm. All marketing for PTs was go to physicians. This was the linear referral model that we had been part of forever. Right. And, and probably when you and Amy opened up, you thought the same thing that Steph and I did, which was, hey, if I can just get so many physician referrals a week, that's the lifeblood of our business. Yep. That changed. It, was there a point in your pri- early private practice career when you came to that fruition? Hey, this would be great if I did a, a workshop or this would be great. I, I know yeah. you've done arthritis workshops at one point. Yeah, I'll talk about that here in a second. We, we've done some workshops back then. Yeah, right. so we started up the practice in 2000 and two and uh yeah at that time it was really you're you know you got to get in good with the doctors basically right um we were learned a really painful lesson in our first year and a half we had a uh got really good with a neurologist in the area he he we were helping patients that no one else could help and he just started sending all the patients that he could to us uh to the point where 50 percent of our business 
was referrals from this one doctor and we were jamming. We were great. You know, you're doing good. You're happy. You're treating a lot of patients. You're making some money. Uh, and then one week it just stopped and it's like panic. Like what happened that like we upset a, a, a patient and they got, you know, bad PR back to the doctor, you know, called the doctor and he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I love you guys, but I opened up my own PT, you know, in my clinic to have a PT here now. So I was like, oh, so overnight lost 50% of our business. Um, and then it was mad scramble to try and find other referring doctors. But I realized at that point, like I was not in control of my practice and my marketing. You know, I, I didn't, I had too many eggs in one basket. And so I kind of vowed to myself, like, I've got to find a better way of doing this. And how can we go more to the community? There's a lot of people that know our help uh, out there that need our help, but don't know that they need our help. And um, you know, that's one thing I've always talked about over the years is that, you know, if you ask someone on the street, who would you go see for back problem? They're not going to say PT for the most part, right? They might say a chiropractor or even they go see their doctor. So uh, we needed to really help, um, you know, educate the public a bit more in terms of like, why would you even choose physical therapy to help you with your problem? And we did some uh, workshops around that, um, kind of surveyed our patients at the time, what they wanted to learn about. You know, we did back pain workshops, we did arthritis workshops, and those were very successful at getting people in the door. Any other efforts that you had early um, that you played around with? Because I know, I think we've shared quite a few failures of early direct yeah. consumer marketing. We did crazy stuff. You know, we did like door hangers on apartment buildings. We did, uh, you know, keychain magnets, all kinds of stuff. Um, and again, it's like, you know, we didn't know what we were doing back then. Uh, learned a lot throughout the years, but um, um, tried, you know, postcards out to the general public. Uh, we didn't have, again, the right methodology, so they didn't work that well. Um, but when we did start doing more marketing with patients that we had or had seen in the past, that was a very successful action. Actually, one of the most successful actions in our practice that we always kept in was making sure that we leveraged our customer list and built our word of mouth and maintained our word of mouth, even with patients who were, you know, patients six, seven, or eight years ago, um, and they would come back in. Right. But that's why we did patient newsletters, postcards, you know, uh, patient appreciation days, things like that. Uh, you got to leverage your customers. Yeah, and that's a, a huge point. I, I know get to talk with a lot of owners uh, who are th either thinking about going direct to consumer or they've tried to do direct to consumer and they just feel like they're constantly reinventing the wheel uh, month after month where they don't have those systems in place. One of the first questions we usually ask is, what are you doing for your past patient list? Mm -hmm. That's not our wheelhouse at Breakthrough, but I know it is your wheelhouse at uh, Practice Promotions. That's what you, you built your company on. Um, so very briefly, you mentioned some strategies there in terms of your past patient list. How do you think about it or how do you teach in terms of how do I you know, take advantage of the biggest asset that I have is this list of people that already know, like, and trust us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think for a lot of practice owners, I, I always ask, you know, what are you doing to market to your past patients? And it might be like, oh, I send a birthday card out or, you know, I send an occasional email newsletter and that's good, right? That's, that's a, a little drop in the bucket, but it's really about um, when that person leaves your door, they really love you, right? They've had a wonderful experience. They've had a transformation in their, bit, in their body. And how do you maintain that going forward? Because let's face it, everybody's busy and you become out of sight, out of mind. And if you're not constantly checking up on them, um, then they're, they're, they may come back in when they have a serious problem, um, but they may not, right? And they can even go somewhere else. So the, so the key there is to really work at that relationship and um, think about what are you trying to accomplish first in that relationship going forward? And how do you maintain yourself as experts to turn to when something happens? And let's face it, no one wants to go back to PT you know, they, you know, they don't want to really spend the time or the money to go back to PT unless it's enough of a problem where they are going to come back. And we've all had that experience where, you know, Mrs. Jones comes back in for therapy and you're like, hey, Mrs. Jones, how's your knee? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's hurting again. Like, How long has that been going on for? Six months. Why didn't you come back in sooner? Oh, you know, I just thought I'd take an aspirin and it'd go away or, you know, whatever. Right. So the thing is, people need prodding and they need that communication. And so you need to be able to maintain yourself in front of them, give tips, advice, provide a lot of value 
but then also let them know, hey, it's okay to come back in. We can take a quick look at you, whatever it may be there. And you can keep that um, you know, relationship going. And then also provides you an opportunity for them to be reminded when a coworker or a friend or a family member is hurting and they can, hey, go, go look at these guys, go check them out. So it creates the referrals that can come in that way. Great. And I, it, it seemed like you were saying tips value uh, or tips and advice provide value there right. and make an offer, which is, yeah, completely in line with what we have found works as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, and I think it's important for people out there to realize, practice on a, uh, out there to realize that, you know, not one method is the only way. Um, you, people are all over the place today in terms of like content that they digest. You know, we got Facebook, we got Instagram, we got emails, we got TV, you know, direct mail. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are exposed to. Um, so it's really important that you diversify in how you're connecting with your customer list. So, um, you know, key ways to do that are, uh, you know, email campaigns that continually provide value, whether you're putting out a blog or different kinds of tips that way. Uh, as well as personal type emails to, to reconnect. Um, uh, patient newsletters are really important. That way you can portray what's happening in the clinic, tips, value, advice, uh, things that are going on there, create that emotional connection. And then phone calls and texts are very important too. Uh, one thing we used to do in our practice a lot was have our uh, PG techs uh, actually go through all of our lists in about a quarter, about a three month time span. And so they break it up into weeks and they'd call so many patients a week just saying, hey, just checking in with you, how you're doing? Do you need to come in for a checkup? Do you need your home exercise program? And if they had mentioned, oh, my back's starting to hurt again, well, let me put you in contact with your PT. So it was just a great way to show that we were caring about them, that we're checking up on them. If they need anything from us, we're there for them. And it sparked a lot of opportunities that way. Yeah, Re reactivation programs are excellent and highly undervalued still today yes. in, in yes. private practice. Yeah. Um, you I think as practice owners, we, we um, you know, we're so hell bent on trying to get the new patient in the door that, and we're just kind of have this comfort knowing that we had a great experience with these patients and yeah, they'll come back if they need us. But the reality is that it's much more valuable to be spending the time and effort with your customer list. If you've been in practice for at least a couple of years, uh, than just purely focusing on that brand new patient coming in the door. Yeah, completely agree there, Neil. We, um, yeah, we started doing studies as well with our clinics. So we have six clinics now and based on how long they've been open and how large the patient list grows, the percentage of new patients coming in or percentage of uh, plans of care that we see become overwhelmingly our past patient list if we're, if we're doing a good job there. Mm -hmm. So I know in our main office, um, that number in 2019 was 67% of our, the plans that came through were off mm -hmm. of our past patient list. You probably are, <laughs> know how big that list is because we work with you for the newsletter uh, or the, or the uh, email list, but I, I think it's around uh, 12 or 15,000 people just for that mm -hmm. one office. Yeah. Um, and that's uh it, yeah, I mean, and that, that's a condition yeah. of power. And, and that, yeah. that's, that's phenomenal that you've been able to create that with a practice. And I think, again, what a practice owner should do is really look at their demographics of what is their current caseload. And you really should be well over 50% of that caseload being past patients uh, or referrals from past patients uh, in the door, because that means you have a very healthy practice. And the majority of people that are coming in are your direct to consumer? Are you not not relying heavily on just a, a one or two physician referral source? Yeah. the The other thing that I uh, you started to talk about is um, some practices. When you ask what they're doing, they'll um, they'll say that they're sending they're emailing their newsletter. I know that's a very common practice right now. When you're working with an owner in the beginning, how do you um, how do you coach? How do you teach through? You know, this is how the best practice for email, this is the best practice for direct mail. How do you help an owner understand that? Yeah, I think um, we have to overcome some um, fear uh, sometimes in a practice owner because they're, they're afraid to market enough to their past patient list. They feel like they're going to offend them. 
And so it's sometimes like, oh, you know, I might only want to send something once a month, maybe twice a month. Uh, and that's enough. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to make them mad. Right. But the reality is, is that how many, how many emails do you get a day in your inbox? Right. I mean, sometimes you get like two or three a day from the same business. So people are used to that now. And if you are really coming from a place of help and you're really providing good information, value tips, health tips, things like that in your newsletters that you're doing now, then you're going to be welcomed. Right. So usually I would say to a point where almost, um, you know, three or four times a month that you are uh, putting stuff in front of your uh, past patient list. And, and just realize that too, with uh, email, um, you're not going to get in front of everybody. So if you have a list of say 2000 people and you're lucky to get say a 30, 40, even a 50% open rate, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, you're still only reaching half of that list, half of the people that are on your list. So um, email is, is one way of doing it. And you, it, you know, it's one mechanism. Um, and then of course we've got social media, you know, that's a great way to show what's going on in the clinic, tell the stories from your clinic, uh, really engage people that way to share um, their stories. Um, and then of course, we've got things like, you know, direct mails where we can put like, you know, postcard offer for maybe there's an ancillary service like a massage therapy or just come back in for, you know, a, a consult and it's like a free consult that you're offering. Um, or, you know, of course, like your patient newsletter is another uh, important mechanism, which is great to direct mail in front of people. Um, the thing with direct mail, which is really powerful, which a lot of practices don't use enough, is that with direct mail, it's a very different experience than the digital realm, right? Because with digital, we're used to like, you know, flicking through the feed really fast for Facebook or Instagram. Um, with email, we're skimming, we're scanning real quick, you know, to see if I'm even going to open this thing. Uh, but with direct mail, it's going to get into the mailbox. And so over 95% of the people are going to touch your direct mail piece. They're going to see, you know, at minimum, your brand, your logo in front of them. Uh, and then you've got, they have to open it. There's going to be this whole engagement process where you actually have like 15, 30 seconds or more of being in front of that person. So that way, yes, you're going to invest a little bit more money from postage side or printing side of things, but the experience is very different. And there's a lot of studies out there that show people um, buy and engage more from direct mail than just the digital realm. And that's why you get catalogs in the mail from all kinds of retailers because it works, right? They know that they do that. Um, in fact, um, L.L. Bean, right? You know, L.L. Bean, right? Big, big company outdoors and, and apparel. They decided, um, I think it was like maybe seven or eight years ago that they were going to save money and stop mailing out their catalog. And they did this for a year and they had a tremendous loss of income uh, from that because people would may not buy directly from the catalog, but they would get interested from that and then go shop on online. So it just shows you there's uh, this full experience that you need to think about when you are engaging your customer list from, um, from what type of media you are getting in front of them with. That's great. Uh, yeah, love the points about digital and direct mail. I, the, and what you seem to be saying there, Neil, is you get more time, more uh, potential consumption from direct mail if you have the right headline, if you have the right interest, if you're speaking to the, the reader in the right way. Yeah. And it balances out too. Again, like if you have this, this whole experience where, you know, you're taking video within the clinic, right. And people are experiencing that. And then, uh, you know, they may get an email from you and there's some kind of health tip in there. When they receive that direct mail piece, they're also a lot more than engaged mentally to engage with that direct mail piece. So everything works together. If you have a nice blended campaign. Great. So um, I, I want to ask you some questions about trends you're seeing in direct to consumer right now. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we've noticed is uh, the, so seven years ago, I think it was Chris Redding is the first time I ever heard the direct to consumer marketing term used in PT. So I just wanted to make sure I give credit where uh, I, I didn't quite understand what he was talking about because mm -hmm. we, you and I talk about, you know, direct access, but um, when we're talking with owners and they say, you know, I need direct to consumer marketing, they're in one of two boats. One is, 
Um, they've never done it before. And they're just afraid to start firing and start investing and, you know, don't want to offend readers or people looking in their mail or people that are, you know, online social, they're kind of under, underestimating the effort a little bit. That's camp mm -hmm. one. Camp two that we see is I'm trying it. Um, we're out there doing it. Um, I just, I don't know how to put everything to, together from back to end. And I feel like this is a huge effort for my team every single month. Mm -hmm. Just wondering if you saw the, those same things and how you, um, how you have a conversation with each of those owners. Yeah. So when we have uh, different owners reach into us for guidance and help, um, I, I, would, I do say they fall into those kind of two categories there where one, one is they're trying to improve what they have, right? Uh, and then the other is like, okay, I haven't done much of this before. And then how do I really get into the digital space? And how do I get people to find me online and things like that? Um, I, think I think one of the things where a lot of practice owners struggle from a marketing standpoint is really strategy. And what ends up happening without a clear strategy is you end up doing shotgun marketing where you like throw something against the wall and hope it sticks, right? And so you're out there, okay, I'm gonna try some Facebook ads because I saw this cool thing out there, right? And, but I, I'm just gonna do that myself, right? Or Google ads, I'm gonna try that myself, right? Um, or I need to do SEO or my website, whatever it may be, right? There, there's, there's not a clear strategy on like, how do I want people to engage and, 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 uh, and come and get interested in me? And then again, I think it's the other camp that I see from that is that um, as practice owners, we're very proud of our clinics and we think that we have to outshine our competitor down the street, right? And why would they, someone choose us versus that other PT clinic down the street? And I can tell you from many, many years of experience that the PT clinic down your street is not your competitor, right? Your competitor is the unnecessary surgeries, the medical machine that's out there, big pharma. Um, I always tell the story of, I was in an internal medicine doctor's office, two medicine, two internal medicine doctor's office, and uh, they were busy. And I said, hey, you know, how many back pain patients do you see, you know, in a week? And they just laughed. They said, in a week, how about a day? And they would, they would see literally over 50 uh, back pain patients in a week. Um, and two of those, they would refer to PT. The rest were for muscle relaxer or MRI or off to an orthopedic doctor. So there's a huge chunk of the population out there that needs your help. They just don't know where to go to find it. And so if you have a good strategy about how you can be discovered online first, really get in front of these people that are searching. And let's face it, most people are not searching for physical therapy or physical therapists. They're searching for like, how can I help my back pain? Or I sprained my knee, what do I do? Those are the kind of queries you would see on Google. Uh, so if you can start to rank your clinic for some of those types of searches, now you're getting in front of people who never even thought about PT before. And you have this opportunity to start to engage them. But that's only part of the puzzle, right? Because once they find you, let's face it, we're all skeptical in today's world. And we, we really look for, is this place trustworthy? Are they going to help me with my problem or so, you know, provide us a quick solution? And so they're looking for this uh, way of making known like you're a professional, right? That you're the best in the best. And so that's where you need to build trust with them. That's where your online reviews come into play. Uh, that's where the, the presence of how your website looks and how your other information looks. Um, do you own more than one spot on page one of Google? The more spots you own on page one of Google, the more people think you have authority and will reach out to you. And one thing that we see as we do Google ads uh, for clinics is that, you know, we help them rank high for their top 10. And then also what's called the three pack, which is the local stuff. And then when they have the ad, now you've got three, at least three spots on page one of Google. There actually be, tends to be an increase in the amount of people clicking on the organic SEO, the top 10 uh, from the ad showing up there, just because you have more relevance on page one of Google. So now you've built trust in them. But then as they come through, they're like more excited. They're going to engage with your website. But then you need to have the right mechanisms on your website that are going to get people to reach out. That do, you know, what's, what they're going to do for that call to action. You need to get them to either use a form or call in, whatever it needs to be. So the way your website is crafted goes a lot into how well 
uh, all those people landing on it are going to turn into new patients calling in the door. But now we get them in the door, right? And so what happens here is what's your strategy for as people come in the door? How are you going to engage with them? How are you going to market to them so that they complete their plan of care? Because we all know it hurts when a patient, you said, come in for 12 visits, they leave at six, right? And they're not a good advocate for your practice if they leave at six visits when you told them they needed 12. Um, so you need all these types of marketing experiences during the process to have a very committed patient through the plan of care and to your practice. And then finally, they had this wonderful experience with your practice. They're so excited. They leave. And now you have a raving fan. But what are you doing with that raving fan to maintain them a raving fan? Right. So we, we kind of help guide clients as they come in through the strategy. We call our ultimate PT marketing funnel strategy. But that's where I see a lot of clinic owners um, get into trouble with direct-to-consumer marketing is they don't first think about what is my strategy here and then you can refine your strategy you can you know get better and better uh, better at it and that, that's going to help you um, market for less expense uh, down the road great so I, I have two things here first one I, um, I I'm just going to do a plug for practice promotions and tell you how well this is working I don't even think you know this story yet Neil but uh, we so fifth Yes, fifth location that we opened, we, we called our COVID clinic because we opened it on March 9th of uh, 2020. And mm -hmm. that was a Monday. Everything was shut down in Pennsylvania that Friday. So oddly, um, we had a lot of advertising already in that, within that area. And we ended up, um, if memory serves me right, March of 2020, we had 18 new patients that month come through. So, and if you remember at that time, it was like, ah, uh, like things are shutting down, but yeah. I think we can still stay open or maybe not. And we were all just scrambling and figuring out. And if you recall, it was only a two week, this was going to be a two week experience. April, we had one new patient mm. the entire month. Uh, the, the print ads that we were running, uh, those two newspapers shut down completely. They went bankrupt. They never came back. Wow. Um, and the... Yeah, it was, uh, you know, our online presence in terms of Facebook and everything like that had just was out the window. Um, we started working with your team for on the website for that clinic in Shrewsbury. And I believe just as you said, now we're on that first fold within the Google search two or three times, including the top ranking for most of the major questions around orthopedic spine and orthopedic care, you know, what the uh, what, what should I do for back pain or what's the most common back pain treatment, uh, stuff like that, those terms. Um, that clinic, they just hired their fourth full-time clinician. Wow. We're in 2000 square feet. We're out of space. <laughs> they're doing their 200 visits a week in 2000 square feet. That's not good math for us long-term. Um, and uh, we're look, they, they just had, um, they had our second most, new patients at any of our six offices. And I think they just did 52 here in the, this past month of May. So what you're talking about works really, really well. Um, any insight that you have on to that? I don't know if you know any of that story or if you heard anything from your team about how well, how well that's working there. I didn't hear uh, that part of it. So that's really exciting to hear. I love stories like that. And, you know, that's what it gives me a kick and makes me wake up in the mornings when I hear stories like that from practice owners. So yeah. Uh, but it also comes from within, right? So if you have right structure and organization, team members, you're delivering awesome care, it makes the marketing go, right? Um, but it's hard to market something when you may have some problems internally. So you're doing a lot of things right there, Chad. Well, and I'll, I'll give all credit to Matt, who's running that, that clinic um, right now. And they have gone through, they have picked up leaks, like you're talking about, like we we ran some workshops that might have like 15 to 20 people in the workshop mm -hmm. and we only ended up with three plans of care and we had to do some, you know, presenter adjustments and some uh, front desk adjustments as well. And we just got it tighter and tighter. And now it's, it's humming along pretty well. And we're picking the next spot to, to open up in that area. That's awesome. It's fun. Um, the, yeah. So thanks for your help, Neil. You're welcome to the uh, any other trends uh, that you kind of talked about, like the the ninety percent, ten percent, you got into you know a, a small percentage of the public is actually solution aware. 
they know that their shoulder hurts, they know that their neck or their back hurt, but they're not necessarily aware of what they can do for treatment. And they're usually not thinking, at least more than half of the time, they're usually not thinking, hey, I need a physical therapist right now. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be Cairo, I wanna see my doctor, I wanna go to urgent care, see a massage therapist, something else. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and um, how you think about that in, in when you're guiding your marketing strategy? Yeah, so obviously we're in a medical business, right? Um, so sometimes it's a little hard to do certain things like retargeting for Google and things like that. But um, one of the things that you want to have on your website is you definitely want to have a lot of deeper pages. Um, and what, what you'll see sometimes is, well, quite often is that when a, when a clinic puts together their website, they're going to list out a lot of their um, services, right? And they, they're going to uh, talk about, hey, we help, you know, back pain and neck pain, and, but they might have it all on one page. What you ideally want to have is you want to have a breakdown for like your back pain page, neck pain page, and knee pain page, and so on. Um, and then have specialty pages if you're doing like vestibular or women's health, things like that. Because on those pages, you can actually have a lot more deeper content that's all about that particular problem and then bring in nuances of things like, hey, sciatica or radiculopathy, you know, these kind of terms that uh, might have smaller amounts of searches, but those people that are searching for that have that problem and they're going to look for a solution. So uh, that is definitely a big plus is to build out your website uh, a lot deeper um, because that's going to allow for people to um, come into those different pages. Uh, the other thing too, is if you do have more than one location, uh, you want to make sure that you have individual pages on your website for each location. Uh, that really helps a lot when it comes to local searches on Google. Um, so people, um, that's actually, and if you tie that actually to the Google My Business for that particular location, they will go to that location page on your website and you wanna make sure there's enough info and details uh, on that page. And then people will start to explore and experience um, on your website. And then again, the more sticking time you can get on your website and the more you've had better online reviews and this whole online presence, you're gonna have someone doing their research and more committed to then taking that next step which is to call you or fill out a form on your website. Cool, so the uh, along the direct-to-consumer um, and developing the, the strategy, the one thing that I hear owners say is, okay, you know, just like you shared your story earlier, Neil, I had the neurologist, we lost 50% of our referrals, I'm never marketing to doctors again. How do, how do you help an owner step, step back from the cliff a little bit and uh, yeah. not, not, uh, not sell doctors short? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really important. Hey, we, we are part of this medical system, right? And so sometimes we just picture the doctor as the bad guy or the you know hospital system as the bad guy. Um, but we, we're part of that, right? And you want to keep those relationships. And the way that I started to approach it at the end of my private practice and something that we really try to help practices think about is, wouldn't it be nice if people found you online and then you referred them to the doctor. What kind of relationship would that build? You are in control. You're seen as a valuable asset to that doctor and their group. Um, so that's the way I love to approach it. And you can actually build a lot of different relationships that way. And it's a reciprocal relationship. Let's face it, doctors are helping patients too. And they're in business too, right? They, you know, they need to make money and they do like referrals. So if you can be in that position where you can make referrals to physicians, um, then that really helps solidify. So we wanna make sure that we keep our relationships building with our doctors. That's a very important part. But uh, again, where I see most practice centers go is they rely too heavy on that model and they need to expand their ability to go and find all those people in their community that need their help. Cool. So, um, what I, I don't have you and I ever talked about push pull marketing? I think a little bit, yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I well, I've read about this more because I, for years, we've talked about exactly, and and you and I on summits and various events and webinars about uh, exactly what you said. You know, the real enemy is not each other as PTs. 
It's uh, medications, injections, surgery that are unnecessary or diagnostic imaging. And we're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole PT with regards to dollars spent uh, in, in healthcare, especially when we compare that to outcomes, um, which are really high for the dollar. The, um, when we get into the 90-10, of our community is, will readily utilize us, right? And that's very good with, uh, I, I think that's the pool marketing, right? So that is a Google search. It's for people that are solution aware. And I always, I liken this to Google is a West Coast company founded by Stanford grads. And it, it's very West Coast. East Coast is a little more abrasive and typically, <laughs> at, at least let's say uh, the Northeast <laughs> is a, slightly faster pace of life. Um, and uh, the, the marketing, at, at least in uh, the economies here, the marketplace here is a little more aggressive. Facebook was founded by, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg was mm -hmm. in New York and uh, raised in New York or Connecticut and then uh, was at Harvard when he founded Facebook. So it's a little more of that push in your face. Um, we'll, we'll frequently get questions or I will anyhow, hey, how can I be teaching marketing, but yet I'm a, a, a practice promotions client? How does that work? I try to roll that into the, the 90-10, but I was just wondering how you think about the push-pull marketing and how you, uh, like how you think about, it. I'm trying to get a picture of the, how you think about marketing in your mind with your practice, your private practice experience, and then also with, you know, working with 900 plus owners. Yeah, so um, I think again it comes back to like uh, where where can you you've got you got some finite resources right in your practice. One is your time, especially your time, and with time comes investment and money. And so it's where do you put those resources to work to get the best return on that investment that you're going to put out there. Um, one area that I see a lot of practice owners. Um, you know, they might be very busy in their practice. They might have, you know, a million or $2 million practice. They have maybe a marketer in there, um, but they're still treating patients, right? And they haven't taken that transition yet into being a, a full business owner. Um, so their time is limited, right? Um, so when you're going to be doing these different things, you're going to be working like, where do I need to put my efforts to get the most, you know, bang for my buck, basically. And so I think it's important to look at some of those low hanging fruits there, uh, which is like Google, right? Your website is a very easy place to start and making that more optimized. Um, and I think again, like where can we do some simple things just to try to get ourselves ranking a little bit better on Google? That helps a lot. Uh, and then where can we start to work with our customers, right? We, a lot of times, again, this is, comes back to that. Are we gonna be putting enough effort and time into making sure we have a good strategy and communicating with our past customers? to get them to come back in or send a friend or family. So that's where I want to see more practice owners spend their you know, efforts and time. And then also in terms of uh, this kind of model of push-pull marketing, um, it's okay to, to use specialists. And I think that's always like this hesitancy when you start off in business that you try to do it all yourself. You want to get good at it. You want to get, you want to know about it. Um, and it's, you know, you're like, oh, I have to spend money with, you know, this group over here that's going to consult me or this group over here that's going to provide this kind of service. And it can be a little daunting at first until you get used to it. And then you get to this point where like, it's okay. We actually want to leverage experts in the field to help us get the most out of this thing. And I think I'm definitely getting much better at that in my business acumen. Um, and we leverage specialists all the time at practice promotions and all kinds of different aspects of business to give us clarity and direction. And, um, you know, I, that's why there's, you know, breakthrough out there to help a lot of um, practice owners know and, and leverage specialists for direct-to-consumer marketing and also the other aspects of business. So um, I, I really think this whole part for a practice owner is building their business experience so that they can uh, understand marketing, but work with companies that can help on these different areas for them.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, the, I did try to go down the route and I'm sure you did as well, but now you have the team, but I, you know, tried to build my own website and then tried to do my own Google SEO at one point. And uh, that was a nightmare and quickly ran out of time. Uh, and really the majority of that time was just focused on learning. I never even had time to fail with the execution enough to actually learn what I was doing. So completely agree with you um, on that one. The, the one other question uh, that I had written down beforehand that I wanted to ask you is when an owner is thinking about growing their practice, um, we, do you remember what percentage of your gross revenue you dedicated to marketing and growing your practice mm -hmm. and, what, and what you advise other owners to do as well? Yeah, so it's very, very fascinating from our, our industry, right? And how we approach uh, marketing as a gross, you know, part of your gross income. Um, the Small Business Association across all industries is an average of 11% uh, of what you make um, gross income wise that you put towards marketing, advertising and salaries. And the healthcare industry averages about 8%. Um, I know WebPT has done some studies around this um, with like 6,000 clinics and the general average there was probably 2% or less that was being spent by uh, clinics on marketing. So sometimes when you are not getting the new patients in the door, it's because you're not funding or investing in your marketing enough uh, to have a broad enough reach. Uh, and that can come from like, hey, you've been burned with marketing in the past. Uh, you don't know what direction to go. You don't have a right strategy. And so putting money towards something where it's gonna possibly fail, that's hard for a practice owner to swallow. So. Um, I think if you go into like, hey, I'm spending 2% of what I'm making right now to, on marketing, maybe I can bump that up to like three, 4%, work with some things there that I know are going to work and then keep going from there. Um, so yeah, it, it, is, it is something in our industry that I see a lot is that people underfund themselves when they're looking for business growth. Yeah, independently, we found the same thing. The, uh, and just to put real numbers on it, so million dollar gross revenue practice that's doing 80, 90,000 a month in collections. Um, the, if they were a small business blind to being a PT practice, they would be doing 11%, which would be 110,000 a year, roughly $10,000 a month. Um, as a PT, I, yeah, I might've been web PT. I think I saw another industry, um, although they weren't exclusive to private practice that had that 2% number. So that would be 20,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure if we're competing um, in the same marketplace for the for eyes, and you have 110,000 to play with, and I have 20,000 to play with, you're going to win yeah. <laughs> the majority of the time. So uh, yeah. yeah, completely get it. But is that do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and if you think you're going up against hospital systems and different doctor groups, um, orthopedic groups, trying to vie for that same you know, amount of attention with a very limited budget, it's going to be very hard, difficult to go to the next step. So you might be able to maintain what you have, right, with what you're doing. But if, you, if you're trying to go to that next direct, you know, next level, whether that's going to be expansion of your space or just filling up the space that you have, or you want to add another location, you have to always do what's called the correct estimation of effort. And that's where a lot of people get blindsided. They think, oh, you know, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, maybe put a little bit more money to it, but they don't realize that the actual correct estimation of effort is way higher to open a new location um, or, you know, to, to get to that next volume of patients that are needed. Uh, and so that's where people get into trouble. Like it kind of peters out or doesn't go the direction that they want it to go. Yeah. We, and I'll, I'll back you up on that one as well, only because, as we've opened more clinics, we always get that uh, from the clinical director when we're opening that new office and they see that, well, you know, month number one, we're projecting, uh, I think what was the last one. So we just did a two months ago, open a practice. And I think the projection was 150, 200 visits, something like that in month number one. We said, okay, so at $100 a visit, we're projecting about 20,000 in income even though we have to wait 30 days to collect that, but we're going to have a $2,000 marketing budget. And I know that reaction 
and it's just, it's not exclusive. It's it's every time that we do it is <laughs> ooh, the, yeah. like, we can't spend two thousand dollars. And I was right. like, well, how are you going to get the patients in? Yeah, to generate the visits, I think you're going to want to be busy rather than looking yeah. for something to do. Let's let's do the two two thousand dollars, and then they they catch on and yeah, get the hang of it. But yeah, and that actually plays back to something um, that I'm seeing right now, and this happens in times of boom, right? So things are getting busier out there for clinics. Things are going quite well right now, which is awesome. Really happy that we're in this place. But the tendency is to put, take your foot off the gas, right? And it's a big mistake because we've seen it time and time again when there's, I mean, there's always times in the economy where things are going really gangbusters and then we have a recession or something, right? Or a pandemic. Um, and so the tendency is when it's going really good, hey, I can just, I'm, I'm slammed at work, you know, I'm just gonna take my foot off the gas here. But people don't realize that with, especially with like with marketing, it's not an instantaneous reaction. So when you put effort into marketing, you add money into marketing, it takes some time for that to spin up and get produce results. That might be two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks for you to start to really feel the effects of that marketing campaign that you got going. So when things are good right now, um, the tendency is to like back off a little bit, but then what happens when people go on vacation July or August, you might be behind the curve, right? Hopefully not, but that, that, that can happen, right? So I always tell people like, hey, I'm slammed. I, you know, I have a waiting list. Great, keep marketing, right? Trying to find some flexibility in your schedule, cram a, you know, get another couple square feet somewhere, hire another therapist, whatever it may be, don't stop your marketing, keep going, right? Yeah. Um... That was a great point. So it, it sounds like if we're, you know, early June right now, July, if July and August are slow seasons, what we're doing today plants the seeds that we'll be harvesting in July and August. Yeah. And if we stop planting right now, we're going to be pretty bored in uh, July and August. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> I, I've done it and I'm sure you have as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, just from experience. <laughs> I, I, the, uh, this was year number one. I remember walking in and only had two other staff, maybe three other staff. And I just said, shut everything down. No more physician lunches, no more mail, no more print ads. We're done. Cause I it was just overwhelmed with all the <laughs> patients mm -hmm. and referral. So only made that mistake that bad one time, <laughs> but um, very good. The, so Neil, you covered a ton here. Um, I know in our show notes, we're going to have, um, a link to um, you have something uh, in, in terms of your ultimate patient marketing funnel with your five steps. Do you want to briefly go through that and explain uh, what each step was? I know you alluded to it earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tons of resources on practicepromotions.net. Go there. Um, one of the key things we have is our five steps to direct consumer marketing, which is our ultimate PT marketing funnel. And those five critical stages are online discovery. So how are you getting yourself out there online to be in front of as many people as possible? Uh, build trust. So how are you developing reviews and your brand presence out there so that people know you, like you, and trust you? Uh, and then we have new patient conversion, which is what is your website doing to um, you know, get people to become new patients? Uh, and then we have committed patients. So how are you engaging them with marketing during their experience at therapy so that they stay for their full plan of care and then raving fans. So how do we turn them into raving fans? How do we keep them as raving fans and how do we keep connected with them to build our marketing base, right? Our customer base. Awesome. Thank you. And again, for all the listeners here, or if you're viewing this, we'll have that link, um, the practicepromotions.net link that Neil just referenced. We'll have that in your show notes. I went through it myself. There's some great stuff in there. You should go through and check it out for sure. If you're either thinking about or you're already a direct to consumer marketing vet, um, you'll either either person, either camp, you'll you'll get something valuable out of it. Neil, this has been great. Um, have it, we covered? Uh, oh, by the way, what was your osteopathic training? Uh, so I went for a while to the Canadian College of Osteopathy. I um, that up in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. And it actually was really neat because it's, it's uh, French osteopaths that are teaching. Um, so it's very different than a DO here in the United States. It's actually the original um, style of osteopathic uh, training. So 
had a lot of fun with that. I really enjoyed it. Okay. There, there is one well-known gentleman, it, uh, Greenman, Greenspan, uh, not Greenspan, uh, is from Michigan, an osteopathic doctor that was teaching PTs in Michigan. Uh, I think he passed away here a few years ago, but, um, and he wrote the text. Do you have any idea who I'm talking about? I don't. Uh, that, that, he's the only one that ever comes up, but I, I'll check okay. that out. The French osteopathic training. That's great. Are, are they, yeah. that's still in existence? Oh yeah. They've expanded a lot. I mean, they're all over Canada and also in Europe. So it's really cool. Cool. So uh, covered a lot here. Um, you talked about your early days in private practice PT and how you and Amy, you know, evolved over into practice promotions through helping uh, practices. You covered many of the uh, services that you offer uh, practices right now as they're trying to go direct to consumer and really take advantage of this emerging from the pandemic time right now, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, you shared the neurology story. That was great. Um, yeah, we talked about past patients and how to market successfully to them. You talked about your strategy, uh, the tips and advice, providing value plus the offer. Uh, the pitfall of taking your foot off the gas. I have a ton of notes here. Neil, this was amazing. Any parting words for you for uh, the owners that are uh, listening right now in terms of trends that you see moving forward or anything that we should be looking for uh, out for as an industry right now? Yeah, so now I think we have, um, we're, we're in a point in history right here in our, in our profession where we have more tools than ever before to reach out to the public. And we are, I think, emerging as a profession in the public eye of what we can do to help them in so many different ways. And so we, as a profession, I believe that if we can help uh, come together, actually, this is why I said we're, we're not competitors, really, right? We, we're, we're here to help each other. And if, if every PT was actually fully utilized the way it should be, everybody would be overflowing, right? So let's come together that way and let's look at the ways that we can go more to the direct, direct to the consumer, more to the public um, and develop our relationships there because there's a lot of opportunities for practice owners out there. Awesome, well, Neil, thank you very much for being here. Thank um, you, Chad. I, I know you're a busy uh, owner and father and husband as well. Uh, thank you again for doing this, this was awesome. Thank you, Chad, thank you everybody. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.